Hello again, everybody, and welcome to this playoff weekend edition of the AUDL's Friday Forecast. My name is Evan Lepler, recording this Friday morning at my home in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Feels like the first time in quite a while. I don't have to board an airplane today or tomorrow. A quick drive to Raleigh for the South Division title game, the Raleigh Flyers and the Dallas Roughnecks. One of two games on the AUDL docket this weekend. Also the Indianapolis Alley Cats and the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds in the Midwest Championship game. Congratulations to the New York Empire and the San Diego Growlers, the first two teams to qualify for the 2019 AUDL Championship weekend. The regular season champs in both the East and the West got it done. Both in fairly close games, but winning by a, a small margin. Three points for New York, four points for San Diego. Exciting games last week across the league. The two games that were the semifinals, both decided by one, with Pittsburgh beating Chicago and Toronto beating D.C. And hopefully this weekend we get a couple of games that go down to the wire, and, and I genuinely think we will. I am very excited about this weekend. I think it's going to be one of the most exciting weekends of the year, despite the fact that we only have two games. I think Dallas and Raleigh, as I've said before, are probably two of the top three teams overall in the league. So this game, just like it did a year ago, feels significantly more important than a game with eight teams left, theoretically, in the quarterfinal round of the AUDL Championship Tournament. So I'm excited to be in Raleigh on Saturday night for the second year in a row. Ian Toner and I will have the call of the Dallas-Raleigh clash. And I'll start by talking about this game. Both Indy and Pittsburgh and Dallas-Raleigh begin at 7 o'clock. Indy Pittsburgh, AUDL.TV for subscribers. It's going to be a good game. I'll certainly have it on in our broadcast booth while calling the Raleigh-Dallas game in person and Obviously, Raleigh-Dallas will air exclusively on Stadium. WatchStadium.com. Our Game of the Week crew will be there for the Flyers and the Roughnecks. And, and this is, you know, one of the games that I looked at back in April. And I talked about it then as a potential Game of the Year type game. Because the history between these two teams is pretty incredible. And both teams have evolved fairly significantly from just last year to this year, perhaps more significantly than you realize. And I'll delve into it in a moment, but first let's rehash the history between these two teams because Raleigh entered the league in 2015. They won the South that year, barely squeaking an overtime win over the Jacksonville cannons in that South title game, a game that it looked like the cannons had won. They had a bad throwaway late. Raleigh took advantage. The Flyers moved on to San Jose. There's a little symmetry there, perhaps, if the Flyers can win again this year. And in San Jose, Raleigh fell behind big early against Madison. Radicals team that ended up going on to the finals, played a tight game with San Jose in the finals. Raleigh did battle back in that game, and you know Justin Allen in 2015 was a star offensive player for the Flyers. He had a 50-goal, 50-assist season. He had a, a tough push-pass decision on the goal line as the Flyers were making their surge. It might have been to get them back within one or two. Raleigh had all the momentum. It was a costly turnover. Kind of the, the play that I think most remember from that game was Justin Allen's ill-advised push-pass, and then Madison took care of business the rest of the way. I think they, they won by four points, if I'm remembering correctly. So 2016 rolls along. The Dallas Roughnecks enter the league. And they enter with a flourish. High-profile free agent signings. Some people, I mean, they were a very polarizing team. Is this bad for the sport? Is this good for the sport? But, you know, they signed free agents like Bo Kittred, Cassidy Rasmussen, Jimmy Mickle, Dylan Freechild, Kurt Gibson. They bring in Chris Mazur late in the year. They had an unbelievable team. And to this point, I don't think there's any question they're the best team in the history of the AUDL. They answered all tests. They went undefeated. They had a huge point differential. And in 2016, Dallas was unquestionably the better team. Raleigh fell down a little bit. 
had a home playoff game against Atlanta that they actually lost. So Atlanta went to Dallas for the South Final in 2016. And the Hustle actually gave him a pretty good game through about two and a half, three quarters. That was Dylan Tunnell's MVP season, if you remember, for the Hustle. And the Dallas Roughnecks prevailed. And then they beat Toronto and Seattle in the championship weekend in Madison to take home the inaugural season Roughnecks championship. And they were dominant. 2017 rolls along. And there's a little bit of an evolution. The Flyers pick up some players discover a little bit about themselves they were the better team the regular season that year Raleigh went 13 and one had the number one seed in the regular season Dallas had to play a South Division semifinal game against the Cannons team whom they had lost to during the regular season interestingly a piece of that game was the fact that Bobby Lay uh, had a, a close family friend pass away right before the game he flew in late because he was attending the funeral, that 2017 South Division semi. He wasn't a huge factor, and he was a first-team All-AUDL player that year for the Cannons, if I'm remembering correctly. And so Dallas takes care of the Cannons. Then they go to Raleigh, and the Flyers, in their words, played their worst game of the year. And despite the fact that I think Jonathan Nethercutt finished with like five goals and ten assists, 27-24 was the final. Dallas kind of jumped on top early and never trailed. They didn't pull away by a huge number, but they were always comfortably ahead. And that was a missed opportunity for the Flyers, and they knew it. So Dallas went on to the 2017 championship weekend, and they still had most of their high-profile talent. They didn't have uh, Cassidy Rasmussen or Bo Kittredge anymore. They were both... Uh, back in the Bay Area with San Francisco, but they still had Kurt and and Jimmy and Dylan, and they had added uh, Jay Fruit and Abe Coffin in 2017, but the Roughnecks eventually fell to Toronto after uh, coughing up a lead in a game that I think we remember primarily as an unbelievable performance by the Toronto Rush and, and Mark Lloyd and Andrew Carroll and Cam Harris. They were unbelievable in that game, and, and Jimmy Mickle had a few too many turnovers, and, and that was just a missed opportunity for the Roughnecks again. I'm not sure if they would have won the championship against the 2017 San Francisco Flamethrowers in Montreal. I, I think Bo Kittredge would have enjoyed the San Francisco versus Dallas game because he would have gone against the team that he had won with a year before. We'll obviously talk more about Bo and his opportunity for legacy going forward. But the Dallas Roughnecks, after winning the title in 2016, they knock off the 13-1 Raleigh Flyers. And what I think at the time was a bit of a road upset. I mean, the Flyers were the favorite and didn't get the job done. And then the Roughnecks uh, fall short in the semis at championship weekend. So then 2018 rolls around. And Dallas was the better team in the regular season, but it was close. But Raleigh all year long, I think we kind of looked at as this team is among the most talented, not just in the South Division, but in the league. And, of course, in 2018, the Roughnecks had lost Jimmy Mickle and Dylan Freechild. They had lost Kurt Gibson. They were a different team built around some of the veterans that had, had, had been a part of the original teams that were stepping into leadership roles, like Dalton Smith and Matt Jackson and Dan Emmons. Obviously, Jay Frude was more important. They certainly missed Abe Coffin, the 2018 Roughnecks did, but they still had a great regular season behind the growth of Dylan Larberg, the growth of Carson Wilder, the growth of Thomas Slack, Kevin Richardson joining the team and becoming a downfield threat. The Dallas Roughnecks of 2018 were very strong, and for the second year in a row, frankly, this year, we got two of the top three teams in the league. I felt that way about Raleigh and Dallas heading into the championship of the South Division last year, and from the Flyers' perspective, look, they had an up-and-down regular season. They felt the pressure and the weight of expectation last year in a way that few teams in the league really have because, you know, high-profile additions, they had added... Uh, a, a few different guys that everyone expected to be huge different ma difference makers, including Misha Freistotter. You know, they got Bob Lou and Brett Matsuka to join Goose Helton, who was in his second year with the Flyers last year. Jonathan Nethercutt was coming off his MVP season. Jack Williams was rounding into form, ready to take that next step. 
Same could be said about Jacob Fairfax and Terrence Mitchell, these young guys who now had experience and, and were becoming veterans in this league despite only being 22, 23, 24 years old. So it was a heavyweight match last year in Dallas in the South Division Championship game. And, you know, going into that game, the interesting dynamic was I, I felt like Raleigh was a little bit of a better team, but because of the fact that the South Division had scheduled their, their playoffs on the same weekend, the Raleigh Flyers had to win a game at Austin on Friday night before proceeding on to Dallas on Saturday. And then they play that game Saturday night in Dallas. They jump out to a huge lead. I think it was 12-6 to six maybe. It was a six-goal lead. And then Dallas gradually creeps back into it. There was a nightmare play at the end of the third quarter where Raleigh had the disc up by two with like 10 seconds left and a double team comes and rather than just launching it downfield to get it out of trouble, Shane Sisko tries to swing. It's intercepted by Jay Frude. He dishes quickly to the end zone. Dallas is back within one. And look, that, that game last year was one of the best games I've ever had the chance to call. Back and forth, so many highlight reel plays on both teams, unfortunately marred by some officiating misses that we talked about at the time. And Dallas comes back to win 20-19, getting a Dalton Smith block on a, on a Jonathan Nethercut forehand looking for Freystadter. They try to force up the line with about 30 seconds to go. And Raleigh wasn't able to get a turn after that. And Dallas celebrated what may have been their most exhilarating win in franchise history. Like, they've, they've won a lot of games, including a championship, including a semifinal. But Dallas had never really been pushed the way they were in the South Division final last year. And there was a great crowd. It was a beautiful night. Uh, despite the fact that the wind certainly wreaked havoc on the game. And, 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 you know, the fact the game was as compelling as it was, despite the win, I think says something about how strong both those teams were in, in terms of handling the conditions. So, again, heartbreak for Raleigh. And whereas two years ago they were 13-1, the favorite at home, you know, Dallas was still the defending champ. I think Raleigh was, was very disappointed and borderline heartbroken, but but last year in particular was just a, a, a punch in the jaw that you didn't see coming. A, a real knockout blow for the Raleigh Flyers emotionally. Because look, they had they had all the pieces to win a championship last year. And perhaps they had too many pieces. And and that's been a conversation in retrospect that I've had with folks on Raleigh. It's one thing to have a gazillion great players. It's important, perhaps even more important, that the great players fit together. And one of the themes that I've learned from the Flyers this year compared to last year is that they think their pieces fit together better this year than they did last year. But understandably, the Flyers were heartbroken. And for North Carolina Ultimate, it was a, a rough sequence of events in terms of the the Raleigh club team lost a heartbreaker at, at the world ultimate club championships and then the Flyers lost a heartbreaker and th there was this theme bubbling percolating with North Carolina ultimate at the highest level that they just couldn't win the big game that there was some mental hurdle that the Flyers needed to clear and well, I think there, there was a, a stretch where folks in the North Carolina community tried to tamper that down and reject it. If anything, I, I have not heard Mike Denardis and David Allison and, and other Raleigh leaders talk about that mental hurdle as much as they did after this year's New York game when the Flyers had several chances to put the game away and were unable to do it and lose in double overtime to the undefeated empire who are still undefeated heading into championship weekend. And, and that was obviously the game of the year, the 2019 season. And we might get a rematch if the flyers in some ways can overcome that mental hurdle of handling that big moment, because so far they have not been able to do so. So the 2018 
South Division Championship, a classic, comes and goes. Roughnecks go on a championship weekend again, leaving the Flyers disappointed. And last year in Madison, Dallas gets by the Empire and they beat Bo, the first playoff loss for Bo Kittredge in his AUDL career, which started in 2014, which you think about that, it's it's kind of insane. He won titles 14, 15, 16, 17, lost in the semis in 18 after winning two playoff games with the Empire to get there. And Bo's back in championship weekend again, going for his fifth AUDL title. As I pointed out in the Tuesday toss, it's been since 2013 since the AUDL held a championship weekend without Bo Kittredge. And you think about how the world was different in 2013. That was early in Barack Obama's second term as president. A lot of things have changed since then. Roughnecks beat New York, lose to Madison in a, in a tough title game a game that I think the Roughnecks have a bunch of regrets in. They didn't play great, and a lot of credit goes to Madison because the Radicals' defense certainly came to play, played as a team, flustered the Roughnecks considerably. I think Dallas, deep down, realizes, and I think it's true, it might have been a different game if, if Kevin Richardson and Dan Emmons did not get hurt in the semifinals. Look, those were the, the Roughnecks' two best big guys, one on offense, one on defense, that were both very important players and leaders for that team. And again, that's not meant to take anything away from Madison, but you look at, at how these two teams have responded a year later, and you know everything kind of aligned in 2018 for the Radicals, and in, in shocking, stunning fashion, they missed the playoffs entirely this year, and I think the the pain of the rough the radicals missing the playoffs has hurt them even more these past couple of weeks than it did during the regular season as they, you know, watched Pittsburgh and Chicago play last week. And this week they'll watch Pittsburgh and Indy play and Madison will, you know, have to come to grips with the fact that it's not them and why aren't they there? Because I think deep down they still think they're the better teams. Of course this year they did not show it. So Dallas missed an opportunity to win a second title in 2018. They lose in the finals. 20-16 to 16 was the final score. So that moves us on to 2019. And both Dallas and Raleigh, I don't want to say had considerable turnover because the core of each team stayed the same. But in terms of important pieces, both teams had some key changes. For Dallas, they lost Chris LaRock, and he was a very important player for them. Did a, a bunch of different things, but he he's a quarterback in this league. And people often have asked, like, what do I mean by quarterback? A guy that can be an anchor with the disc on either side of the field, whether it's on O or on D. And obviously, LaRock, you know, could be a great downfield striker as well and, and dump the disc when he gets it and just go. To, I mean, he was that type of athlete. So Dallas loses him, and they also basically lose Maddie Jackson, who had become such an important player for the Roughnecks. And it was amazing how Jackson evolved from 2016, when he was a relatively unknown guy out of Arkansas, to 2018, when he basically became a do-everything, every-other-potential-guy-for-the-O-line who wasn't just a little squirrely handler who could also huck, who could also make plays downfield, who became a captain and a leader. And look, Manny Jackson played in one game this year, but they knew coming into the season that he would not be as uh, prevalent. And so they lose him. They, they get Kevin Richardson back for the second half of the season, but he didn't play the first half of the year. And, you know, the, the, the Roughnecks have kind of gradually had a few different things catch up to them and the schedule this year was not great for Dallas it was kind of a weird schedule they got Raleigh on opening night great comeback win they beat Raleigh by two after the Flyers led by four in a game that felt eerily similar to the South Division title game from a year ago but then Dallas basically just plays Austin mostly they lose a game to Austin for the first time ever. They get him back, but they're dealing with a bunch of different roster inconsistency. They experience a little adversity, both with the Austin loss, dealing with some other injuries. They do get Abe Coffin back, and they work him back in the lineup. But, 
you know, it just didn't feel throughout this regular season that Dallas was as dominant potentially as they have been in the past. And, you know, some of the veterans like Brandon Malachek, for instance, getting a little bit older, still good, still a guy you want to have as a handler on the team. But, you know, the Dallas young guys were starting to take over. Carson Wilder taking up more and more responsibility. Connor Olson and Zach Marbach and Kaplan Maurer. These guys are growing into bigger roles, and, and with that comes some growing pains. But, hey, Dallas still, you could argue, only lost, I mean, one game that surprised me all year, which was the game to Austin. They lost twice at Raleigh. Neither time did the Roughnecks have their top squads. And, look, that happens in the AUDL. It's a routine and relatively easy excuse. And then they lose to Atlanta, finish 8-4. and four. That game was meaningless in the final day of the regular season for the Roughnecks in terms of what they would uh, be for a playoff seeding standpoint. So, look, Dallas is entering the 2019 South Division title game with great optimism. I talked to head coach Wes Nemec earlier in the week. He insists that they are as hungry as they have ever been that they're trying to play for each other, that they feel like at their best they can beat anybody in the league. And look, I think all those things, the Raleigh Flyers probably feel the same way. But the Roughnecks have a very difficult task because they have to go on the road. They're going to have arguably their strongest roster of the year. But one thing that concerns me a little bit is the fact that it is the strongest roster of the year and they haven't had too many games with great continuity with all of the players that they're going to bring into the game this weekend. And in terms of who's in the lineup, well, they've got most of their big guns, pretty much all of them. You know, in terms of notable names that aren't going to play, Zach Riggins has been an on and off guy. Remember that 26 title team, not expected to play. Joel Clutton, Connor Olson, kind of on, uh, a little bit on the roster bubble right now. They're not listed as active at the moment. Could be game time decisions. Otherwise, not sure. You know, Sam Ward, a guy that doesn't have much size, really squirrely handler defender. He's not expected to play. You know, Steven Poulos, who we weren't really sure what kind of role he would have. The, the Pulos experiment did not work great for the Roughnecks this year. Guy who's been on almost every team in the South Division this point, dynamic thrower, but just really never, never found his groove with the Roughnecks. But with that said, you look at the lineup Dallas has, and this is what's expected to be on the field this weekend. Malachek, Miller, Maurer, Frude, Reinhardt, Lewis, Coffin, Dylan Larberg, Smith, Chris Larberg, Emmons, Richardson, Wilder, Slack, Hernandez, Marshall, Feruda, Armour, Marbach, Rogers. That's the 20. As I look at this, you know, Gabe Hernandez didn't play last year. And a couple of the other young guys weren't in the playoff game last year. But in terms of guys who weren't on the roster a year ago, and even Gabe Hernandez had a small cup of coffee in the past with the Roughnecks. So, look, Hernandez... a Callahan Award winner. I almost called him a Heisman Trophy winner. <laughs> he won the Heisman at Stanford. He's Andrew Luck. No. Callahan Award winner for Stanford. Dynamic young player. And they add him in. Look, he's a different uh, different breed of Callahan winner, I think, than some others. He, he's not necessarily the type of guy like a Mickle or a Free Child or a Nethercut who's going to take over the game himself. The, the Callahan Award has evolved a little bit, as Ultimate has evolved a little bit. And that's a conversation for another time. But look, this Dallas roster is fairly similar to what it's been in years past, except without Chris LaRock and without Matt Jackson. So I think they're a little weaker than they were last year. And we'll see if they can play their best game at Raleigh on Saturday because you know, we've been waiting for this Dallas team to play their best game at Raleigh for a while. Now, they did that two years ago in this spot, but that was a very different iteration of the Roughnecks. Now you look at what Raleigh has done 
this year. And the Flyers had a, a really considerable amount of turnover from a year ago in big-time players. And let's let's start out with Jonathan Nethercutt, who played two games in the AUDL this year for the Flyers, but is not on the active roster this weekend. He was available, but he has basically been absent from the team all season long, and Mike Denardis and David Allison had to make the, the tough decision to go with the guys that have got them there. And Nethercutt is a relatively disc-dominant guy, and because he's only played two games this year, there's a bunch of guys on the Flyers that he hasn't played with as much. He has been traveling all around, running different ultimate camps around the country. He's been, been ch- changing his residence to Colorado. And look, the Flyers made the call that, I don't want to say that they don't need him, because that sounds a little callous, but that's almost what it is. They feel good about the guys that they're going to send out onto the field. Now, who are they going to send onto the field? We'll get there in a moment. Other guys that they're not setting out on the field include Jack Williams, who obviously is going to be at championship weekend as a member of the New York Empire, a guy that was really coming into his own and we thought had a chance to be one of the next huge stars in Ultimate, and, and that's still true. And, you know, the Flyers didn't really miss Jack this year so far, which is kind of crazy. Obviously, you know, they lose the the Goose, Helton, Brett Matsuka, Bob Lutrio. And those are three guys who are all world-class ultimate players. And Goose Helton on his way to championship weekend with the San Diego Growlers. And Brett Matsuka very well might be on his way to championship weekend with the Indianapolis Alley Cats. So they, they lose kind of that group. And everyone's like, goodness, how are they going to replace all that firepower? Well, they have. In in kind of a breathtaking way. For, for, you know, late last year, the Flyers ad- added Alan LaViolette from Atlanta. So early in the season, they add Misha Freistadter and Andrew McKelvey from the Cannons. And then kind of midway through the season, they, they add Alan LaViolette. And now those three guys are all in their second full season in the system. And they're all impact players. I mean, everybody knows about Misha, his heroics in college at University of Central Florida, being a six seven athlete who can throw, who can play D, who can do a little bit of everything. Alan LaViolette may not be as well known, but I think he's earned the respect of his Raleigh teammates super quickly just as a a really fast, intelligent, decisive, hybrid-type player who, frankly, had a a disappointing game against New York earlier this year in Raleigh's uh, second loss of the year. Flyers went 10-2 this year. They lost by two to Dallas in the opening game, and they lose by one in double overtime to New York. And rest of that, they didn't have too many other close games. Tampa played them close a couple of times Atlanta once or twice but the Flyers pretty pretty strong team all year long I mean losing by two at Dallas losing by one to New York and double OT not results to be ashamed of at all but I think we should recognize that this Raleigh team not that far away to be in 12 and 0 undefeated and in fact it, it in a way it feels like Raleigh you know was like almost had a higher probability with the games that they were playing and the, how well they played to go undefeated than New York did because the Empire had to dig themselves out of a couple considerable holes in third and fourth quarters to stay perfect, whereas Raleigh lost their two games in, in different unique ways, coughing up a lead, uh, in, in frankly, in both of them. So, look, the Flyers add in those three pieces from other teams in the South. Then this year, they bring in Bobby Lay, who arguably was the best player in the South division that didn't play for Raleigh the past few years in the league. And I'm sure Atlanta would love to throw a couple guys into that conversation and, and Dallas as well. Austin too. But without question, Bobby Lay, an all AUDL caliber player. It was unclear 
what level of commitment and availability he would have. He just moved up to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, starting a new job, was injured at the start of the year, chatted with Mike Denardis, the head coach of the Flyers, earlier this week, and he became a really critical player for them very quickly. Denardis saying he's been as committed as anybody. I think that he's only missed one Wednesday practice all year long, and look that they've loved what he's been able to do slotting in as a handler role in good shape has the throws but again had a couple key mistakes in the New York game and you know after that New York game we talked about like that mental hurdle that the the Flyers need to get over and it's hard to be like oh Raleigh can't do it again because it was LaViolette and Lay who made a couple of the key mistakes in that game. And those are not long-time North Carolina guys, obviously. So is there something in the water? Is there something in the coaching? Is it is it just a vibe that the veterans on the team? Like, in, in a way, that, that, that narrative of that mental hurdle needing to be cleared, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit overrated. Sometimes it's just guys don't make the plays and it's not necessarily about a mental hurdle. It's, it's about, I mean, there is something to experiencing great wins for the first time. And, you know, a reason why a lot of teams continue to win and a lot of teams don't is because you can play a lot of close games. And when it gets to winning time, you got to take care of business and, and come through in the clutch. And look that that's an acquired skill that, that takes a little bit to learn, but getting back to the flyers turnover. So, not only do they add Bobby Lay, the three Carlton kids obviously were gigantic additions. Saul Yannick, Henry Fisher, Eric Taylor. Yannick and Fisher come from the Carolina background, Carolina Friends School, Triforce, the youth club team that has won several national championships out of the kind of the Denardist Nethercut system. And Eric Taylor from Ohio, but went to Carlton, kind of indoctrinated into a similar system and frankly you could have fooled me taylor looks like a kid who came out of the carolina friends school just in the way he plays and the way he carries himself on the field and those three guys have fit in so well to what raleigh has done this year in every way on the field off the field the flyers put them in big roles and that made me worry a little bit about how they would fare when those three guys disappeared to U24 practice and, and international competition. Well, they fared all right. They beat Dallas twice without that trio. So this will be the first time that Yannick Fisher-Taylor facing Dallas in Raleigh this year. Those three guys were part of the first game of the year at Dallas when the Roughnecks had the comeback and got the win. But Raleigh's roster additions go deeper than that. They add in two other guys who have had pretty lengthy, solid AUDL careers. And this is something that Raleigh has done in the past, you know, bringing in guys from other divisions like Mike Pannoni from Pittsburgh in the past. This year, they add Ross Ward, who previously played for the New York Empire. I think I gave a stat earlier this year, like he was like third on the Empire and plus minus maybe four years ago. So a pretty important player for them has dealt with a variety of injuries. And then Chuck Cantone, who has experience with both Montreal and DC, who is kind of a, an unassuming assassin on the field. I think Mike Denardis called him like the old wise philosopher in terms of how his personality has congealed with the rest of the Flyers organization. And, you know, those two guys have fit in well. And frankly, like those are two guys at the start of the season that I'm thinking, oh, those are good depth pieces for the Flyers. I'm not sure if they'll be in the top 20 come playoff time, but here we are and they're in the top 20. And I think that's pretty cool that they've earned the trust and have become, you know, guys that are going to be counted on in this game. Now, that, I mean, that's a huge chunk of who the Flyers are, are playing tomorrow in, in the South Division title game against Dallas. And then you factor in, there's there's two other guys 
that weren't really part of the team the past couple of years. One being J.D. Hastings, the other being Tim McAllister. Both were involved in the last iteration of U24 USA Ultimate. Both, obviously, University of North Carolina, dark side backgrounds, and defenders who are also good teammates, that are, are leaders, that, that fit together in the puzzle. And that was one of the comments that Mike Denardis made to me, and I agree with it. He thinks this team just fits together better. And I've talked about the concept of fit the past couple of weeks with the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. And I will get to the Thunderbirds and the Alley Cats in, in just a few minutes. But just to finish my thoughts on the, the Raleigh-Dallas uh, <laughs> trilogy, as it is now as we get started for the third consecutive year in the playoffs, the Flyers pieces fit together. They're are role players on this team like Jacob Mao and Kieran Allen, and even to some extent Noah Saul, who's had a fantastic year, that the Flyers can just put out there on offense, and they're not necessarily the guys who are trying to get theirs. And, like, look, ultimate at the highest level is very rarely about a guy trying to get theirs. And I'm not trying to imply that anyone on the Flyers in the past played selfishly. But the skill sets of guys like Nethercut and Williams and Helton to some extent, and even Matsuka kind of with his quirky skill set, dictates that the team play a certain way. And that type of ultimate over the years, if you're if you're a little too aggressive, can can hurt you and this Flyers team look they've allowed Jacob Fairfax Henry Fisher Terrence Mitchell Misha Frey's daughter to become dynamic downfield threats and basically played through those four guys throughout the season you know sometimes Alan LaViolette gets involved but he doesn't seem like the type of guy that you know, needs to touch the disc a lot. He's he's a filler-type player. You know, Jacob Malk, Kieran Allen, we've seen them both score goals and throw goals, but they're, they're resets. They are very willing defers when it comes to letting someone else take over. And, you know, the, the, the consistent refrain that I've heard from Raleigh this year is that like, Oh, all these new guys are such great teammates. Everyone's believing in each other and look, they have clicked. Now they would have clicked to a whole different dynamic if they could have held on to leads against Dallas and New York. And they were coming into this game 12 and zero instead of 10 and two, but all the same, this is a Flyers team that I think has even more belief than years past. Look, there was a lot of belief last year, and there were a few different pieces of adversity that they couldn't overcome. In terms of Dallas getting hot, I think folks would admit that Raleigh not only got a little off-kilter in the second half of that game in terms of closing it out, but part of that probably had something to do with the fact that they had played a game the night before. And Austin made him play for 48 minutes the night before. So now this Raleigh team comes in relatively rested. In terms of guys that they're going to be without, Justin Allen still injured. Could be back potentially for championship weekend, but not good to go. They'll be missing Shane Sisko. Mike Pannoni is not on the active roster. I know that they gave some consideration to Connor Russell, the big tall lefty out of UNC Wilmington, and uh, at the moment, he is not on the active roster. Doesn't mean he won't play. But as we sit here on Friday morning, uh, 20 other guys are listed ahead of him. And beyond that, obviously, Jonathan Nethercut not expected to play. And it's a curious decision. And it could be one that gets second-guessed if the Flyers do ultimately fall short in this game. But in a weird way, I think it's the right decision. And I'll say that on the record heading into the game and hopefully not second-guess it too much afterwards. Because the devil's advocate is 
look, this guy won an MVP. He's one of the dynamic throwers in the world. He's an underrated, and I've said it before, and I stand by it, he's an underrated defensive player. But I think, you know, the what the decision ultimately came down to was just the uncertainty of what he would bring to the team in the role that they would ask him to play in this game. Because, look, they could say, you know, hey, you're going to play O-line handler and we're going to shuffle everything around. and uh, But, like, that would dramatically change the experience for Eric Taylor and Bobby Lay and Noah Saul and LaViolette and all the downfield cutters. And maybe it would work. That's the thing. It might work, but they don't know if it would work. They're not ready to experiment with that in a game of this importance, and they feel like their regular roster, the, the team that has gotten them to this point, that has played so well, that has clicked throughout the season, is good enough to beat this Dallas team. We'll find out whether or not that's true. I'm very excited for this game, as the last 40 minutes probably have illustrated. So, look, if I'm going to make a forecast... I think this is the year that Raleigh finally gets it done. But I certainly won't be stunned if the Roughnecks go to Raleigh and win again. But I do think the loss of LaRock and Jackson from a year ago is important. You know, Dallas has relied a lot on, on Henry Feruda to handle the disc and Brandon Malachek and Dalton Smith. And look, you know, Dalton Smith, Jay Frude, Abe Coffin, these guys are gamers. Carson Wilder, they're going to come out and, and have good games. I'm curious what Kevin Richardson's going to do. He obviously had a huge game against Raleigh last year, scored, I believe, seven goals for the Roughnecks in that South Division final. But all season long, I've, I've kind of been enamored with this Raleigh offense without Nethercutt. With the quartet downfield of Frey Stoddard, Fisher, Fairfax, Mitchell, and then you know Noah Saul, Eric Taylor, and either Kieran Allen or Jacob Mal, but now Bobby Lay has slotted in there. Alan Laviolette can slot in there. I think Raleigh has a lot of different positional versatility in how they can mix and match. And we've seen in the past, a lot of those old guys are perfectly content playing D. We've seen Frey Stoddard make a difference on D. We've seen Fairfax... And uh, Mao make a difference on D. Obviously, Noah Saul has most of his life been a D-line guy. So, I'm leaning towards Raleigh. I think it's going to be a very close game. And I think down the stretch, we'll be talking about, can Raleigh avoid that killer mistake that could potentially be construed as the moment being too big, as that mental hurdle being too tall? Whether that's fair or not, I think that's where we're probably going. There's also a, an iteration of this game where Raleigh wins by eight. The last two times Dallas came to Raleigh, they got blasted. And that could happen again. Of course, Dallas has a stronger roster than they've had in the past. Hopefully that sets the table on the Roughnecks and the Flyers. That's kind of my lecture on the history of this Dallas-Raleigh rivalry and uh, another chapter we're going to see unfold Saturday night, 7 o'clock on Stadium, and it's going to be fun to watch. So I hope you'll join us. I'll be on the call with Ian Toner at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Indianapolis and Pittsburgh. Uh, Midwest final that I don't think anybody predicted before the season. Certainly I didn't. Even fans of the Alley Cats and Thunderbirds probably wouldn't have predicted it. Maybe fans of Indy predicted Indy versus Madison, or Pittsburgh versus Madison, or Indy Chicago, or Pittsburgh Chicago. But here we are, and it's not Madison or Chicago, or a Minnesota team that had its fair share of quality wins this year. It's the Alley Cats and the Thunderbirds who were the last two teams standing. And, wow, th this matchup is is fascinating to me for a few different reasons one is the fact that you know both teams are kind of in positions i don't want to say that they've never been before because frankly being in the midwest final is something that these two teams have been in a bunch 
Indy was in it last year. Pittsburgh was in it the three previous years. Both teams lost to Madison every time. So now without Madison, how do they handle the different expectations? Indy's at home. The Alley Cats are the favorite in this game. The Alley Cats have the pressure on them to win this game. They are not playing at their indoor facility. That facility is also used by the Indianapolis Colts for preseason practice. Training camp has begun. The Alley Cats will be at an outdoor facility that they have not played at in the 2019 regular season. For that matter, the Dallas, uh, the Raleigh Flyers are going to be at a facility that they've played at once or twice, but not one of their common facilities as well. So the playoffs often uh, dictate, since teams don't own their own stadiums, there are conflicts, and y- you find a stadium. And, and look, Durham County Stadium, the site of the Flyers' Roughnecks game, I know the Raleigh is excited to play there, and, and folks have said it's a nice place. I will see it for the first time tomorrow. How will the outdoor conditions change things? I'm not sure it's that big of a factor. And obviously, we'll see what the conditions are going to be in Indy on Saturday night. The Alley Cats, I think, overcame this late in the year in their wins over Minnesota and Chicago to some extent at home. But for the first part of the year, Indy, and they said this themselves, was better offensively on the road, outdoors, than they were at home, indoors, which is is kind of counterintuitive. But that was, they didn't play well indoors all the time. And when you're indoors, there's, there's like, there's a greater expectation to not turn the disc over because you're not dealing with wind. You don't have any other exterior elements to worry about. Just take what the defense gives you. The defense can't stop everything, make good throws and catches, work it downfield, and put it in the end zone. And the Alley Cats, too many times, forced things, made just uncharacteristic mistakes, whether throwing it too low or too high or or losing their focus or whatever it might be. But I do feel like the Alley Cats have grown past that late in the season, and I like this indie team. I feel like they've found their rhythm. I, I think the emergence of Alex Henderson as an O-line guy has been huge. Now he's bounced back and forth a little bit, playing O and playing D. But the veteran core of this indie squad, and we're talking about Cameron Brock, Keenan Plue, obviously, Travis Carpenter, Rick Gross, Levi Jacobs, Keegan North, who isn't maybe part of that veteran core, but he is slotted in on the O-line, and then Alex Henderson. I mean, th- that that is a solid unit that has played well together, that has a, a bunch of playmakers, let's be honest. I mean, Carpenter, Gross, Brock, Jacobs, big-time playmakers. And, and I'm thinking about, like, from a downfield, making plays in the air standpoint. And they've all gotten more consistent. I mean, that they've all they have always been good playmakers, that group. But they would have those extra turnovers during a game and just, you know, not necessarily play defense after a turn the way they needed to. They are they've grown that that unit. And the defense has improved. I I've really enjoyed watching Nick Hutton this year. He's been fantastic. Spencer Loscar has made a bunch of plays defensively. And Jake Fella, who was injured much of last year, big guy. He's healthy now. He's made a difference. You know, lesser-known players like Sam Ellison and Zach Zebarth are guys defensively that have made life tough on opponents throughout the year. So you look at this indie team and then you have the brett matsuka wild card and like what is he gonna do and he's a guy that does have experience in games like this and look matsuka's the type of guy that can throw you to the finals or he can throw you out of a game but he's played well lately and i think the alley cats have found a few different ways throughout the season by which they're comfortable to use him and 
look, this this indie team, I know from talking to Eric Leonard and other leaders on this squad, have spent a lot of time thinking about all the different possibilities and dynamics heading into the most important games of their season. So I think they're going to be ready. The question is, can they execute? And can they handle the moment? Indy wasn't even all that disappointed last year when they lost the Midwest title game to Madison because they had beaten Madison during the regular season and they had gotten past Minnesota in the first round of the playoffs to advance to the Midwest final. And for them, that was enough. And it sounds strange to say that because you don't want to like you don't want to just be happy to be there. You want to cherish the opportunity you have, but that natural emotion of being happy to be there. Like, I think obviously they started that game. They wanted to win, but they were able to quickly transform the context to a positive one. Be like, yeah, look, we, we, we got crushed in this game against Madison. We didn't play our best, but Hey, this was still a historic season. We are setting the table for the future. And we've seen this. In past years at Championship Weekend, the LA Aviators last year are a great example. Their first year in the league, they missed the playoffs. Their second year in the league, they make the playoffs but lose their first game. Their third year in the league, they make the playoffs to win a game, lose in the West Finals. Then they make it all the way to Championship Weekend for the first time. San Diego Growlers, frankly, have had a similar progression. Last year, they make the playoffs for the first time, don't win. This year, they're back in the playoffs. Better season, more confident on a championship weekend. So that is the trajectory and the argument for Indy. That it is their time. They are home. This could be the last hurrah for their veteran core that's been together since the beginning. And I'm mostly thinking about Brock and Plue. Two guys, both out of Ball State that have been the standard bearers for the AUDL since the league began. And two guys that no one really knew about when the league began and have answered the naysayers. And there's been plenty of naysayers that the Alley Cats, you know, don't belong with the rest. They've proven they've belonged. They've proven that they can produce. Keenan Plew has evolved as a player he's no longer the athlete that he once was he's more of a behind the disc handler now whereas he was a great goal scorer and kind of downfield mid like almost in the same vein as a Jacob Fairfax obviously different size and athletic ceiling than Fairfax but in terms of the way Plu used to play he would start downfield he was unguardable maybe Matt Smith from Atlanta is a better analogy. Like Keenan Plew was Matt Smith, and now he's a little bit more like a, a older Bobby Lay, who you know can be a throw and go guy, but mostly stands behind the disc and is a distributor. You're not generally seeing the Alley Cats huck it to Keenan Plew anymore. That's just how his role has evolved. They'd rather huck it to Rick Gross or Cam Brock or Levi Jacobs or. Keegan North. So the Alley Cats have redefined themselves in some ways, but this could be the last hurrah for those guys who are both now in their 30s. Look, we know Madison's going to attempt to come back with a vengeance next year. We know that Chicago's very disappointed with their season. If they can keep their squad together, they're going to come back angry next year. This indie team won a lot of close games this year. They had more games decided by three or less than anybody in the league. They won the vast majority of them. It's been a magical year for the Alley Cats. Can the stars align to get them to championship weekend or perhaps a step beyond? If Indy advances to championship weekend, then we'll get the New York Empire on Saturday in San Jose, August 10th. Imagine... They would cherish that challenge. There would also be considerable underdogs in that matchup. Because of that, everybody would be rooting for them, unless you're an Empire fan. What a story it would be.
if the Alley Cats ended the Empire's undefeated season in San Jose. And it was Indy back in the finals for the first time since 2012. Now, I'm not predicting that to happen, but it would be an incredible story. And frankly, it's not out of the realm of possibility. The Pittsburgh Thunderbirds are here after starting the year 0-3. They've won nine of their last 10 games. They didn't play particularly well last weekend against Chicago. They acknowledged that after the game, and yet they survived. The heat, the humidity, the conditions, and the wildfire. Who, after falling behind 4-1, to took a lead at halftime, and Pittsburgh... You know, the fact that Pittsburgh, I don't want to diminish what Chicago did. But the the wildfire started that game so poorly. And Pittsburgh, in a bunch of different ways, let Chicago back into the game. And that is not something that a champion does. So, look, I've I've been high on this Pittsburgh team all season long. And I think this Midwest title game is going to go down to the wire. And it is a game that really is a toss-up in my mind. I give Indianapolis a slight edge because they're at home, because of the chemistry that they've built throughout the year, and because of the fact that this Pittsburgh team may not necessarily be at full strength. With that said, the pieces that Pittsburgh has, they fit together. Thomas Edmonds, Max Shepard have built an unbelievable chemistry this year. Shepard's probably going to go over plus 100 for the season, including playoff games. That doesn't happen very often. Pittsburgh also has a bunch of guys who have been in this spot before and have some sense of what to expect of playing on the road in a Midwest title game. Veterans like Anson Repperman and David Vats and John Mast and Mark Fedorenko defensively, I've enjoyed watching this Pittsburgh team. You know, obviously Sam Van Dusen can do a lot of things for the D-line, but the way Alex Thomas and Owen Watt and Steve McGilski and Nick Gelati have played, Thunderbirds are expecting to get Jasper Tom back for this game, a U24 gold medalist from last week in Germany. Thunderbirds have the pieces to go to championship weekend. And, look, they were not far away from hosting this game. These two teams played twice in the regular season uh, in Pittsburgh, and Indy won both of them. And the first quarter of the first game was lopsided, I believe, 7-2, and Indy hung on for the 19-16 win. The second game was closer throughout. Indy kind of broke away in the third, and I believe won by three, if my memory is serving me correctly. And Pittsburgh won at Indy in a relatively meaningless regular season finale. So technically, the road team has won all three regular season meetings this year. So there's no question that Pittsburgh can go to Indy and win. And I, I, you know, I won't be surprised by that at all. And it would be a fun story. I mean, for the Thunderbirds to go from 0-3, from below 500 a year ago, to championship weekend... If that happened, then Pittsburgh, depending on what happened in the South game, could be the three or the four seed. Because while Pittsburgh is is below Indy in the Midwest hierarchy because of the 2-1 series edge in the regular season, both teams are eight and four. Point diff would be the the differentiator in terms of tiebreaker in uh, the championship weekend seedings, and if Dallas, who's also 8-4, and four, does beat Raleigh, then Pittsburgh could rise to the three spot. San Diego, in that scenario, would move to the two. And then it would be Pittsburgh versus San Diego in one semifinal. And New York and Dallas, who I think most would view as the, the two top teams at championship weekend in that, in that scenario, would be the other semifinal. So this Pittsburgh team... Look, they, they they could find themselves in the AUDL championship game if the pieces fall right. Although I just made that argument for Indy, and 
you know, look, I, as I sit here closing this podcast on Friday morning, July 26th, I think it's going to be New York and Raleigh. I would be delighted if it was New York and Raleigh because that was an unbelievable game to cover in the regular season, and I think a rematch would be fantastic. That doesn't mean I'll be that disappointed if that doesn't come to fruition. As I've said many times before, I'm fine being wrong. But I think those are the two most talented teams. I think they're well-coached. I think they're passionate. I think they are well-purposed to make it to that stage. But there are plenty of spoilers in the mix. Both these Midwest teams could be spoilers. Dallas could be a spoiler. San Diego could absolutely be a spoiler. And I'll tell you, from hanging out with the Growlers after the game last Saturday night in San Diego, that is their intent completely. They are not going to fold for whatever team that they play next. And their offense is number one ranked in the league for a reason. They have, similar to Raleigh, a cavalcade of downfield options that are all difficult to stop and that have spent a season playing very well together. My question for San Diego is, will Michael Tran and Tim Okita be as good as they need them to be on the biggest stage when going against the best handlers defender handler defenders in the league? That's really my question for San Diego, along with how their downfield guys who haven't necessarily been on that stage before will handle it. You know, Goose Helton has been on that stage before. Jesse Cohen, frankly, didn't have a great game for the Aviators in the playoffs last year at Championship Weekend. You know, Sean Hamm, I guess, has been on that stage before as well. So, the Growlers, I mean, do have a, a, a decent amount of championship experience with them. Anyway, you probably didn't think I could ramble for that long about just two games. Here we are. Hope you'll join Ian Toner and I for the stadium telecast. And frankly, it's a great two-screen night. I will have two screens myself. One in person in front of me. The other on the computer or on the phone. Whatever's working at Durham County Memorial Stadium. Hope fans who are in Indy may get that stadium broadcast up on their phones as well. And if you're not fortunate enough to be either in Raleigh or in Indy, put it on your calendar. Saturday night, it is going to be a fantastic evening. And, you know, every year we've had a bunch of classics in these division finals. I, I fully expect both these games to be in that department. And uh, who knows? I mean, there's the possibility that, that Raleigh or Indy run away with it, or both. But on paper, I think the rosters are fairly evenly matched. I think there's really strong coaching for all four teams. And, you know, one of the points that I was thinking about making at the start of the broadcast is that all four of these teams, like, fully expect to win. And... Look, I think teams often try to talk themselves into the fact that they expect to win. Like, you come up with a game plan expecting to win. But usually there's some realistic expectations buried deep down, whether you admit it to yourself or not, that one team is a favorite, one team is the underdog, and, you know, if we play our absolute best and they don't, maybe we can steal it. But I think going into this game... All four of these teams, going, going into this weekend, I should say, all four of these teams genuinely believe deep down that if they play their best game, they will be better than the team they're playing against. And, and that psychology creates a different dynamic as well. It creates higher stakes. It creates, frankly, greater heartbreak. And while well, I don't root for heartbreak, it is part of what makes sports great. The fact that you care so much about it that you know going in you will be euphoric or you will be devastated. And look, whenever you enter a championship game as a player, as a fan, that is part of the deal. 
and it's part of wakes what makes sports great. If the losses didn't hurt, the wins wouldn't feel so great. And it's that time of year. Let's enjoy it. That'll do it for this episode of the Friday Forecast Podcast. I thank you so much for listening. I really do. Greatly appreciate it. Feel free to send me an email, audlmailbag at gmail.com, or uh, send me a tweet or, or say hello in Raleigh this weekend or in San Jose a couple weeks from now. Championship weekend, two weeks away. Two spots left available. Will it be Raleigh or Dallas? Will it be Indy or Pittsburgh? We will have our answers in the next couple of days. For now, Evan Lepler signing off on this episode of the Friday Forecast Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the Ultimate this weekend. Talk to you again soon.